Mary Catherine. Um, I love that psalm, uh, if for no other reason than when I was in Bible college, uh, one of my favorite profs, uh, professors was from New Zealand, and he had a great accent. And also, in New Zealand, they pronounce Leviathan, Leviathan, which always made me uh, laugh, and I enjoyed that um, very much, whenever he would talk about the, the Leviathan and the behemoth, which was uh, how they say behemoth in... New Zealand, because they don't know how English works. No, that's not true. They're fine. <laughs> that was a very mean thing to say. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, also, uh, a lot of people think that the Leviathan was a hippopotamus, um, which is interesting that they, uh, that they use that animal, uh, because it's the animal that kills more humans than any other animal in the, in the world, just so you know. You wouldn't think about it from the hippopotamus, but they're a very violent animal, apparently. Um, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 2 today, because we're still talking about good church and bad church. We're talking about what makes us good, what makes us bad. Uh, what are the standards that we ought to have for churches? What are the standards that other people ought to have for us? Is it so when the, the, when the world at large imagines church and, and, you know, when people go on Twitter and start complaining that, that, that we don't pay as much taxes as we think, as they as they think that we should, we pay more taxes than they think that we do. Um, what, what are they judging us by, and uh, and how are we supposed to to make that standard? And uh, so, what is fair for us? And one of the things that we've talked about so far that I want to remind everybody of, just as we go into this, is that the church is always people. It's not a building. It's not an organization. Churches is is about human beings. Church is about cosmic people with a cosmic purpose. That that we're more we're about more than just what is happening around us at this moment, and we're more than just what fits inside this building, both geographically graphically and, and temporally. And then, and then we are a cosmic people, the cosmic purpose to go into the world, to go into the world in power and communicate truth that transforms. That's, that's who we are and why we're here. And now what we're talking about this week is we're going to be talking about reconciliation and, and this idea of, of what it means for us as a church to come together as people. And this is, so picking up right where we left off in, in Ephesians chapter 2, this is, this is where Paul goes immediately. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of his promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, so there's a whole bunch of really interesting things that are happening uh, in this. But, but, but so... We, it's inter- so Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, and the church at Ephesus is, is made up of, of both uh, Hebrew Jewish believers who were part of the diaspora from Israel all over the Roman world, so that's a good chunk of their people, but it's also made up of, of people who are Greeks and from all over the world who have converted to this Christianity. That, so it's made up, so this is a mixed group of people. So uh, when when Paul starts talking about the circumcision and the uncircumcision, he's talking about a very real divide that existed within their community. Um, does everyone know what circumcision is? 
Okay, good. No, I don't need you to explain it. Thank you. Um, so I just want to establish what, that we know what we're talking about. Okay. So, so when he's taught, so but but the 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 Hebrews, the, the the Jews did that as a way of marking themselves and separating themselves from the world around them. That was one of the things that they did that kept the, 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 the that kept them different from the world. So it was very easy for them because they had gone through this to to, to start to really value that that ritual that they had gone through and to, and to use that to separate themselves from their neighbors. And and this got went beyond circumcision to to ideas of cleanliness and uncleanliness to the point where. A lot of Jews wouldn't eat, wouldn't share, wouldn't touch, wouldn't wouldn't visit the home of someone who was a uh, who was a Gentile. Okay, but so. It's, it, there's something really interesting that Paul's doing here because he's talking to the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, but what he's doing is definitely meant to be overheard by the circumcised because he says, the first thing he says to them is this, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. And again, he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Now, the word remember is extremely important in the Bible. And I'm gonna... For this specific reason, and it would have rung very. It, that word "remember" would have hit the Jewish listeners to this letter very hard because there's one phrase that is repeated over and over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy as we talk about this remembering. Remember who you used to be. This is important words both for those who intended to hear it and those who were, were supposed to overhear it. Because five times in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the main book of the law in the Torah, five times. Five times, uh, yeah. I have it here. So, five times it says, uh, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. In Deuteronomy 5, chapter 15, it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In Deuteronomy 15, chapter 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today. Deuteronomy 16, chapter 12, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. Deuteronomy 24, 18. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. And this is why I command you to do this. Deuteronomy 24, 22. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that is why I command you to do this. The people of Israel were continually commanded to remember that they were slaves in Egypt. Who they were and what they were doing was incredibly important. And it was incredibly important for them that they don't forget those 400 years that they spent in exile. And it's interesting what God is doing here in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy, as he's saying, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, because that first verse, Deuteronomy 5.15, is commanding them to observe the Sabbath. Take a day off work where you don't work, where you don't make your employees work, where you don't make your animals work. Remember when you were slaves in Egypt and every and they didn't give you any days off and they made you work seven days a week until you died? We're not going to do that anymore. Now you have a new way of doing things. Remember you have that you were slaves in Egypt and that you need a day off. And Deuteronomy 15. It says, uh, it's talking about slavery. It's talking about how you're not allowed to take your your fellow Israelite as a slave. And if if your fellow Israelite sells themselves to you as a slave, which was a common economic tool that you would use at the time, you had to liberate them every seven years. And the reason why is because remember when you spent 400 years in slavery? Remember how we had generational slavery that went over and over? We're not going to do that anymore. That's not how we're going to work. 
This is not going to be a life sentence. Then the, the next one is talking about in, in Deuteronomy 16, chapter 12. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. He, uh, it's, it's talking about the Feast of Tents and how at the Feast of Tents or Tabernacles you were supposed to include not just your, your family members, not just your fellow Israel or Israelites, but you were supposed to include the fatherless and the widow, the poor. You were supposed to include the foreigners and those on the outside. So remember you were slaves in Egypt? Remember how you were held on the outside and you were only allowed to participate in their festivals and their, and their feasts as servants? Remember how that wasn't for you? In this kingdom that I'm making, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and how that wasn't good? Now we're going to do things differently. Everyone is invited to the party. In Deuteronomy 24, chapter 18, uh, sorry, chapter 24, verse 18, when he says, remember that you were slaves in in Egypt, it's talking about... uh, It's talking about care for the fatherless, the orphan, and the widow, and the foreigner. How you're not supposed to glean the edges of your fields. If you have a field, you are only allowed to, 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 you were supposed to leave the outside rows for those who who didn't have as much as you did. Remember you were slaves in Egypt and you didn't have anything? Remember how there wasn't enough for you to go back and feed yourselves? Now we're going to fix that. You're you're supposed to leave room on the margins for those who have needs that that they can't care for. Deuteronomy 20 verse 22, it says the, the same thing again. Remember how you were, you were slaves in Egypt and, and, and don't, uh, don't, uh, don't glean over the same field twice. This is interesting because again, this is, this is to make room for people at the margins. Don't, they, you could go over a field once to pick it, but you weren't allowed to go back and pick up everything that you missed because everything that you missed was for, for the poor. They were, they were supposed to be able to, to glean as well and, and have a share in their own dignity. And the reason why you did that is because they they were supposed to do that is because they were slaves in Egypt. Remember what you were. Remember what you were. Remember what you were. And it seems that to Paul, it seems that to the, uh, to, to God, as he gives the Torah in the old Testament, that, that our ability to show grace and to live graciously and generously is connected to our ability to remember who we were before we met Jesus. We understand how this works. If you've fallen down and broken your leg and had a cast up to your hip, and then you meet someone else who falls and breaks their legs and has a cast up to their hip, you remember what that was like. You remember the things that they need. You know better how to help them. That is an important thing for you to do, right? If you've experienced loss, if you've gotten into a car accident, you remember what those things are like. And now there's this challenge that we have that, 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 that we ought to remember who we were because our ability to connect with other people is connected to, who, to remembering who we were. And what seems to be dangerous for the people of God is that, is that we forget the reason why God says this five times in the, in, the, in the book of Deuteronomy, the reason why it's repeated again and again in the Psalms is because we forget who we were. And because we forget who we were, we forget how to live graciously and generously with people who are in the same situation that we were in. This is, uh, this is an important thing for me, and, and some of you will have heard this story before, but when uh, before I moved out west, I was in, uh, I lived in Charlottetown, Prince of Rhode Island. Uh, so before I went to Bible college, I was the daytime bartender at the Lone Star Cafe and Saloon in Charlottetown, Prince of Rhode Island. And uh, and 
if you're the daytime bartender, you're not a very good bartender. But that's what I was. And uh, so I, I, was, I, I would work the day shift, and there was an older lady that used to come in probably once every two weeks. And she was probably, she was probably in her late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, and she would always come in with groceries because there was a grocery store in the same plaza. So she would come in and she would, uh, she, she would carry in these groceries and she would sit down and she would have one Labatt light and, uh, and then she would go. And uh, she wasn't very talkative, but uh, we got chatting one time. And, uh, and uh, it, so, I was just, so she was just asking me like what I was going to be doing in the fall. And I mentioned that I was going to be going to, to Bible college. This is before my first semester of Bible college. And... Uh, and she said, oh, are you going to become a priest? Because that's the language that she spoke. And I said, kind of, not really, but yeah, sure. Um, it's just easier than having to explain. And she said something really interesting to me. She said, when you're standing behind a pulpit, never forget that you used to stand behind a bar. That always stuck with me. And I don't know her story, but something in her in her late 60s, early 70s, made her think that if I was going to be the kind of person who stood behind here and talked about the Bible, that the chances are I was going to forget that. And that forgetting that would make me ineffective in this. That's a, and, 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 and I see what she's afraid of in a lot of us. That, that once we've gone past something that we want to abandon, once we've left a lifestyle of sin, or once we've left behind a habit that has affected us, or once we've left behind destructive tendencies, we, w- we don't want to go back there for very good reason. We don't want to think about that again. We don't want to spend time there. That's where we did damage to ourselves. That's where we did damage to others. So I understand why we don't want to go back there. But as we forget that... We lose our ability to, 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 to show grace to those around us who are going through the same thing. And we also lose our ability to be grateful for the, to the God who brought us out of that. Something incredibly important with Christianity that Paul is getting to here. The transformation is not an abandonment of our past. Transformation is a redemption of our past. That all of those things that were wrong in the past now become transformed into things that are for our good and for the benefit of those around me. That those wounds and scars that we carry now become, become used for the blessings of others. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that you were separated from Christ. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreign to the covenants of the promise. Remember that you used to be on the outside, now you're on the inside. And there's something incredibly important for those of us who follow Jesus, if we're going to be good church, that we need to remember that we used to be on the outside, that we used to be sinners, that we used to be people who didn't know our right hand for our le- from our left, as it says in scriptures, uh, Scripture. We need to remember that. Paul continues, for he himself is our peace, who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making 
peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. So he's talking about this division that existed within humanity. And, and what's interesting is that as we read this, this is less about the people that he's writing to than the people who are overhearing it. Because your average person who lived in Ephesus would have been very used to a multitude of ethnicities. It was a very diverse city. It was a large city. And the Roman Empire encompassed every known ethnic group that existed at the time. The Roman Empire was all over southern Europe, into the, into the Levantine region, around Israel, and then encompassed northern Africa. Almost every ethnic group of people that you can imagine existed in that group of people. So they would have been used to that. And all sorts of groups of people were Roman citizens, were part of the country of Rome. So they would have reminded that. But it would have been the Jews who were like, well, we're not part of that. And now God, is, God through Paul is making it quite clear that no, this is not the way that we live anymore. There are no divisions in humanity. You're one people. He's reminding the Gentiles of that and he's reminding the Jews of that. And he's specifically commanding that, that, that his mission is to reconcile us into one humanity. This is an interesting and, 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 and confronting word for a group of people like Paul. As a Pharisee, Paul would have prayed every day, Lord, thank you that I am not a Gentile, that I am not a slave, and I am not a woman. And yet in the midst of this, Paul is writing, God is making one humanity. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is Father of all. And now we ought to become, uh, ought to become uh, messengers of this reconciliation as well. He continues, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This is, this is fascinating news. And the word citizen is used very, uh, very, uh, very pointedly there. Because... In the Roman Empire, uh, citizens held the highest place in society. If you were, and there were many different levels of citizenship. So if you were part of the civis Romani, then you were allowed to vote. You were allowed to own property. You were allowed to, uh, you were allowed to be elected for public office. You were allowed to, to participate in the life of the, uh, of the community in many different ways. You were allowed to uh, marry and be the head of a household. You were allowed to inherit things. You were, if you were part of the civis Romani, you, uh, if you were charged with a crime, you were allowed to, pe- to appeal that crime all the way to Caesar. And, 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 uh, and unla- other than treason, you were banned from uh, certain types of capital punishment. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified. Okay, It was deemed too harsh a punishment for citizens of the Roman Empire. Below that... You had, you had uh, the, the level of citizenship called Latini. People who were Latini were, were part of the Roman Empire. They lived there, but they weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to, to own property, and they weren't allowed to be elected to public office. Even below that, you, you had the Sochi, 
Uh, oh, sorry, Latini were allowed to own property, but they weren't allowed to vote. Uh, Sochi were not allowed to own property or vote. Provincialists uh, were allowed to be live inside the Pax Romana, but they, uh, they were allowed to be slaves. Above that, you weren't allowed to be a slave. Now you were allowed to be a slave at this Provincialist level. And the Peregrini were people that were outside, that were living within the boundaries of the Roman Empire, but not part of the, the Roman Empire itself. So when Paul is writing here is that all of these gradations of citizenship are gone. You are fellow citizens with God's people. You are fellow civis Romani, or, or even better, civis Christianity. Christiani. Sorry, my Latin's bad. You have full citizenship. There are no levels of this anymore where it's like, well, we're at the top level as Jews, and then you guys are at the second level. You guys are at the, the Latini level, and then, and then even further outside at, the, at the, the Soki level. No, everybody in Christ is now at the Civis Christiani level. They understood citizenship, so there's no gradations in the new people that Christ is making. We are all together. And all together, we remember who we were, claiming the foundation and the heritage of the apostles and the prophets. This is really interesting because there's a huge historical heritage in the the writings and the traditions of Israel going all the way back to Abraham and further back. And we can claim that as ours. And he's saying, you can claim that as yours as well. It's not just the Hebrews who have the right to say, our prophet Jeremiah. He's saying, in Jesus, you have the right to say your prophet Jeremiah as well. That it is not cultural appropriation for you to claim the heritage of the people of God. And even more than that, and even more than that, it continues because it's with something that is even more amazing. So we're being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself in this chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises together to become a holy temple to the Lord. Now this is fascinating. Because what, what he, the metaphor that he's using is he says that we, as followers of Jesus, become the temple of the Lord. We become the place where God lives amongst his people. We become the place where people encounter and meet Almighty God, and we do that together. That's an amazing thing that I, I, we give short shrift to. But what, God, but what Paul is saying is that as we encounter Jesus together, we become the place where people meet Jesus. We become the place where people meet God and are healed. In Psalm 84, David writes about the temple and, and writes about the beauty of being in the temple. Uh, about the joy of just sitting in the presence of God. And, and, he, and, and he, he, in Psalm 84, he writes about how, how joyous it is that for a sparrow that made its nest in the rafters, because you could do that, you know. Um, and, and the sparrow made its nest in the rafters, and he's like, how, how, how much better it would be to be a sparrow who got to spend their time in the temple of the Lord. We are the temple of the Lord. We are the place where a sparrow gets to roost, and, and, and David is jealous of that sparrow. You should not let sparrows take root uh, and make nests in your hair. Um, but do we get that? That we become the place where people meet God. We become the place where God is reconciling all things, and we become the place where, God, where, where all the things that we encounter are being made new. 
So getting back to what Paul was talking about at the beginning, we're called to hold on to multiple things at the same time in our minds. This is difficult for those of us who grew up in a Western culture and, and specifically in a modern culture. We tend to view things in a very binary way. Things are either zeros or they're ones. They're either on and they're off. You're either in or you're out. You're either right or you're left. And we don't tend to view uh, gradations of things. But we are called to hold on to multiple things in our minds at the same time as followers of Jesus because we are called to hold on to who we were before we met Jesus. We are called to hold on to who we are now that we have met Jesus, and we're also called to hold on to who we are becoming having met Jesus. This is a challenge that we do all the and, and, and Paul moves from this. Remember, you were separated from God, and now you're a fellow citizen, and you're becoming God's temple where you where where everything is, where everything is made new and everything is made whole. This is a challenge for us to, to live in that reality. And when we're talking about good church, bad church, this becomes part of the way that we measure our quality. Because the challenge that we have is to remember that from which we've been saved, we remember the potential of every person and remember what we are being made. We're being made a new church. So the challenge for us is, as we begin to measure who we are in a good church, bad church scale, are we working towards reconciliation? Because I've seen too many people who claim to be part of the body of Christ who are not about the reconciliation of all people, but are working towards division who are working towards drawing even thicker lines that put us on the outside and that person, uh, us on the inside and that person on the outside. Who are, who are working even harder to say, well, that person's a foreigner, they don't belong here with us. That person's poor, they don't belong here with us. That person doesn't have enough, they don't belong here with us. Which are all things that God, in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite mercy, is desperately trying to tear down. And if we are truly going to be his disciples, then we work to tear them down as well. Are we a group of people working towards reconciliation? And we can do this in really big and small ways. Are we making room for people who are different than us at a really basic level? Are we allowing division to grow in our hearts? Are we allowing bitterness to grow in our hearts? Are we allowing someone to say to us on the news that this person is a foreigner so they have no share in what we're doing? Because the Bible specifically says that's wrong. And anytime we hear that, anytime we hear someone who claims to be following Jesus say that, we need to say that's false teaching. That's our job as followers of Jesus is to work towards reconciliation. And I guarantee you that reconciliation is risky. Because that's some of the things that people will say when we talk about reconciliation and making room for a world without boundaries. They're going to say that this is too risky, it's too dangerous. We're going to sacrifice either our literal safety or we're going to sacrifice our, 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 our holiness. We're going we're to let people who have a water, we're going to let people in who are going to corrupt our minds. Uh, we're going to let people in who have, who, have, uh, who have different versions of the gospel than we do. And, and you know what? Yeah, you're right. Reconciliation is risky. We do take those risks. When we make room for people who are different than us, our safety may be put on edge, uh, on the line, our, our, our doctrinal purity may be put on the line, our, all of those things, our, our reputation might be put on the line, but you know what? That doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. 
And if there's anything that is true about the people of God, we are called to do the right thing in the face of risk. So I'm not going to say, stand here and lie and say that it's not risky to accept the foreigner. I'm not going to say that it's not risky to accept the fatherless and the orphan and, and, and the widow and the person who is far from Jesus in the center and the, and the person who does not yet know Christ. I'm not going to say that that's not risky, but it's what we've been called to do and we do it anyway. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Because even though we will have much trouble in this world, Jesus has told us that he has overcome the world. And because we know how this story ends, that he is making all things new. So let's ask ourselves the question, are we working towards this reconciliation? Have we remembered who we are? Have we remembered what we've been saved from? And do we remember where we're going? Let's pray together. God. We thank you that you are reconciling us. We thank you that you, have, that you are making us new. We thank you that you are that you did not see us as people who were on the outside undeserving of your grace and mercy, but you called us your children. You have made us your uh, heirs and you have made us citizens in your kingdom and you have made us new and we ask that you help us to live in light of that. Help us to, help us to share this amazing gift that has been given to us with other people that we encounter. Help us to be brave as we do that. Help us not to, to have our lives dictated to us by people who would, who would want us to be fearful and use our fear to their own advantage, but help us to remember the truth that you have told us, that you are making all things new, that, there, that you are making one humanity in Christ Jesus, and help us to hold on to that strongly, and we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus.